Uh, Jesus didn't have a problem with people that's in the streets. He had a problem with religious people. How can I help anybody when I'm not even when I was not even able to help my own son? I would never do that. I would never do that. And I became that in a matter of minutes when they took my pain pills away. And I said, I'm not where I want to be. But thank God I'm not what I used to be. Ugh. This is Faith in Your Recovery. I am Randy Davis. Welcome to the battle. Hey, it's good to have you with us again. Thanks for tuning in to Faith in Your Recovery. We've got a special guest today that I've known for a couple of years through the recovery efforts of both of us, his organization and ours. We're going to hear about that. But let me give you a heads up here. Go back to podcast number 10. You will see that with Skip Ackerman and Jason Howard. Jason is our guest today. He's going it alone. I know this in his first time, and I know he's more than capable without Skip by his side. Welcome, Jason. Thanks, Randy. I uh, love that uh, I get to come on and be a part of this. And I've got to say, your intro, that is powerful. We're proud of that. I really like that. We're proud of that. And I like the people that represents what it has to say and the meaning behind it and pretty well expresses who we are here at Faith in Your Recovery and also tells the story of a better life. Brianna's Hope, our our umbrella, so to speak, from which we operate under. But Let's get into this. They can go back to episode 10 and hear much more of your story than you're going to share today because this is more of an update. A lot of good things have happened for you in your life, some changes. You're, you're making an impact in, in the recovery movement. But let's go back and tell them about those days of struggles. So let's give them about 15 minutes worth of that, <laughs> the battles you fought, where you are today from where you were then. And I recall a couple of things you said then. If you don't touch on them, I'll quiz you on uh, There we go. Um, you know, we're always in recovery. And so every day is a, a, a new day and a, a new battle and a new recovery. But uh I started out young. I was uh, in the EMS field. I started out as a high school uh, cadet. So at 17 years old, I got on the ambulance and uh, truly fell in love with it. And that wanted to be my career. And so moving through that, I didn't adapt real well to mental health. I don't think I had a great foundation in the start. And uh, so as you start into this emotional roller coaster that is going out and serving people and seeing and doing the things you have to, uh, towards the end of that, I just found myself in a, uh, just in a circle and uh, started getting into the narcotics and drugs and alcohol were always a part of life uh, through that. But I really found the spiral when uh, I was getting on the ambulance and, and uh misusing and taking narcotics and it got to the point where i was the happiest professionally but was the most miserable personally life was falling apart there was just nothing that was going the right way and i you know was teetering on that do i take my life what am i doing here um just a real battle internally with everything so you were fighting that battle, and you said you got into the narcotics and whatever else that may have been. 
was that a means of coping for you at that time uh, to help you face the next moment? I'm sure it was run and gun <laughs> to the need. You come in, and before you can deal with it emotionally, you're getting another call. Well, let me, real quick, I'll walk you through something. Super. So let's let's talk about a paramedic today working at IEMS. So IEMS covers all of downtown Indianapolis. And these guys will work 12-hour shifts. And in a 12-hour shift, they may do 15, 16 runs. That's a lot. So you'll come in and start your shift and maybe deliver a baby. That's a great high. That's Euphoric. a great... A great impact. Positive. Yeah, something's coming into the world. And go to the hospital. You have about 10 minutes. 10 minutes to write your run sheet, give your report, clean up your ambulance, and you know what? You're now on the next call. Well, that next call, you're riding this high. That next call could be a cardiac arrest of, and all there's there is a couple, and they've been married for over 50 years, and he's dead. So now you have to tell this wife, you know, we've got this death. Um, and you're just chasing call after call all day. From highs to lows, never it's, knowing it's, what it's the a next roller coaster. call will be. Yeah, and you could end that shift to going to that baby you delivered, find it out that now it's dead. And it's, it is, and you never have time to process. So the average person will just say, um, when they encounter trauma or they see trauma, it takes them days to recover from just that one event. You are seeing event after event after event, and it's not actually the seeing the events, it's how you cope with the events. And you don't get the time to cope with it, to digest it, to process what you're doing. And so it, it makes you emotionally numb, essentially. And that's where we really get our PTSD at is from those components there because it will change you emotionally. Are you still into the PTSD at this point after being out of that that uh, that work for a while? Does it still affect me? Oh, absolutely. Do you get those visions in your head of moments gone by and pains that you felt during that time? I cannot drive down the road and okay. not see a place I've had an accident. Okay. Or drive by an accident and not get the smells. But now it doesn't trigger. It doesn't trigger, but you still have the thoughts there. Absolutely. Um, The memory. There are times when, you know, you can get that trigger. But my therapist has been wonderful. I see him every other week, and I've done that for the last five years. Okay. Have you been out of the EMT work for five five years? years. Okay. Yes. Okay. Um, And so through that, that has been a real journey of how do you find yourself? And for me, it was finding emotions. Um, and that was something that was new. I could display anger all day long. I was great at anger. Men are great at Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I wasn't the best at love. Or if something happened to me, my reaction would be anger. Instead of saying, I'm hurt and upset. So if you did something and I came to you and said, I'm angry, you're going to approach that different than if I could tell you, look, you hurt and upset me and here's why. Now we can have a different conversation. But it's in those emotions that first you've got to understand what you are and how to process that. And for me in my 40s, I'm going through this and it, it you know, it brings on new things. But it's been a real amazing journey is, so, is about the best I can say of it. <laughs> you keep going back to it's not just the situation it's not just the trauma 
It's your response to anything and everything. Yes. Correct? Yes. Okay. Okay. How have you managed to move forward to where you can feel better about life, positivity, (laughs) dealing with your emotions? Well, number one, like I said, I was at a real pitfall in my life. And so when you take that thought of you're going to take your own life and you're able to recover from that, you realize every day is a bonus day. So for every day I wake up, I thank the Lord for giving me this day. Because number one, for my years in EMS, I realized people don't wake up in the mornings. There are things that happen and nobody's promised this day. So for me to wake up and still be able to push forward with the dreams, the visions, the goals, and know that I am still here able to do that, I am just truly thankful. Um, And I take every day for that day. Therapy plays a big role in that for you, yes? Being Uh, able to look at the day in that way. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and it's, you know, it's something that whether you have PTSD or not, A therapist is still there to always help unpack and untangle those things. And we all have those aspects in our lives that need unpacked and untangled. Absolutely. Um, And so it's, you know, it's not just going in there with the PTSD. Over five years, so I joke and I say the longest relationships I've had in my life are my dog and my therapist. Um, But, you know, with that being said, he now knows me. And so it's not just dealing in the PTSD. It's now dealing in every day. Because as you go through life, different situations will come up. And you need to know, how am I handling this? Am I doing it appropriately? Or, you know, just help me digest where we are in, in, that, in, that, in that side of it. So, it, um, so yeah. how do you feel about where you are emotionally? Um, I feel like I'm an 18 year old sometimes emotionally. <laughs> I am. I'm a lot better where we are now than Is that where I was. Because you can sense excitement now, whereas before there was so much doom and gloom and darkness and loss. It's amazing, and and I'm going to give you this analogy. I can look at a flower differently than I did five years ago, than I did 10 years ago. You see it now. You see so many different things. And that was one of the things that was always expressed to me is, you know, I can put a flower in front of you and I, and we're both going to see it differently. That's going to depend on your mood. It's going to depend on where you're at in life. That's going to depend on your experiences. A child's going to see it differently than you or I. But it's amazing when you look at it that through that lens, that if you can change that lens and put positivity on it, um, you're going to see that flower so much differently. You're going to smell that flower. There's going to be so many different things that are in it when you're more positive and able to just get rid of the clutter. You can enjoy the thorns and not just feel the pain. (laughs) Absolutely. And I'll give you a story real quick that I've always found funny, and I didn't understand it until later in life. I had this cousin, and he always wore yellow-tinted sunglasses when it was cloudy outside. And I just always laughed about it. And one day I asked him, I said, well, why? And he says, because the sun's always shining. Well, later in life, as I see things and you start looking at, you know, using that flower analogy in the lens, it's very true. Through his lens on a cloudy day, it was always yellow and sunny. And that was the smile that put on his face to go through. And so it's just the simple things like that. Well, we're back to our choice of how we want to view the day. Is it... uh 
You know, is it dark gray and rainy, or is it, thank God for the rain, I'm rejoicing in it, we need it for the flowers. Absolutely. And as you were talking about the flowers a moment ago and how we perceive them differently, I chuckled to myself because I'm basically colorblind, <laughs> so I definitely see them differently than you would, Absol- but that doesn't keep us from not seeing each other's heart. No, and even in having that colorblindness, you're still going to see the joy and the color in that flower through even how things have been described to you. Yeah, yeah. And and if you're in a negative spot, you'll see it differently, but it's that's just a great setup for that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you've been out of that for about five years. You're continuing to go through your therapy. Things are moving in a very positive direction. You've been able to put some of those thoughts of ending your life behind you. What do you live for today, Jason? What's your what's your driving force that gets you up each day, that gets you moving? Uh, yeah. That I woke up. The fact that I have a day to accomplish anything that I can get done. Um, that's, that's, that's just the driving force in itself, that I can... I can go out and and change lives. I get to get up and be of service to others and give a product that is, it doesn't make anybody money. I'm not out trying to do anything more than lift people up. And that is something that it's, it's, it's just a great feeling and high. So it's, in many ways, still an extension of what you were doing before, touching, changing, and <laughs> saving lives, yes? It has always been, for me, being of service to others. I get that. I can relate totally. That's my number two spiritual gift is yes. service to others. Number one is encouraging. Yes. So uh, I can relate totally. So how are you doing that? How are you going about that in your day-to-day life? What are you doing now that allows you to accomplish that which fulfills you? I have been very blessed to be given the opportunity that I have now. And it was essentially given a platform to go out and work in something that I'm passionate about, something that I've had to experience. Um, you know, and, and before I get into that, I'll kind of back up just a little bit and say, so when I was going through my lowest point, I reached out for help and said, hey, I'm, I'm at this point. Not only am I, you know, not best spiritually, mentally, or emotionally, I've also been getting into the narcotics. I need help. Help never came. And when you have to pick yourself up in a situation like that and make that decision of, do I get better and overcome this or do I let this beat me? That is a driving force too. So for me, knowing that help never came, I immediately started remarketing and rebranding myself and thinking of ways that I can still be of service to others, but use what's happened to me as an advantage to help those that won't put their hand up, that won't say I need help. And uh, so I actually started a nonprofit organization called Code Red Intervention, and uh, it was designed for the mental health advocacy of our first responders. And so, you know, getting involved in that, that's how I met Skip. 
and Skip's got a great organization, Worldwide Peer Support. So I really kind of folded what I was doing into his organization and, and put the support there and got involved in the substance abuse field and uh, was a business development rep for a lot of different uh, substance organizations. And uh, while I was at one here in Madison County, I actually created a program for our first responders uh, called the Warrior's Pathway to Recovery. And uh, through, you know, what we were able to develop and with Skip and his organization, we are able to fly first responders from all around the world here into Anderson and Madison County and get premier mental health and substance abuse treatment that is designed for our first responders and the different challenges that they face that led them to their addictions. Um, And so through that, like I said, I was blessed to be able to have a platform come on board Turning Point. And uh, so now I am the uh, executive director, CEO, I'm not real sure on the title there as we're forming a board and everything. Um, but I've been, like I said, blessed for about the last two years to be leading Turning Point and see what we can do to really make a difference in our community and, and try to be that lead agency when it comes to community support for crisis, mental health, and substance abuse. Let's go back to talk a moment or two about those who are in the emergency services. Okay. Okay. Uh, I know this is not a proven statistic of what I'm about to ask you. Maybe you do have a stat in mind. What has been your experience as far as the percentage of those who turn to a, a narcotic, a drug of some sort, alcohol, to help them with their work in that field, uh, much like you were? What what? Can you give us any idea? Oh. And folks, we're not trying to say this is the gospel for the answer, but it's... I couldn't put a number on it, but I could tell you it was very high. And what happens when they take those surveys? A lot of people won't answer them. You're probably going to lose your yeah. job, number um, one. Well, and that's the problem with our police officers. Our police officers deal with so much. And, you know, they put that uniform on and they go out there and people hate them because of that that authority and you know the political you know the national spotlight yeah of defund the police i think we're finally starting to get over those things but that is a tough job to go out and make it to where when you lay your head on the pillow at night you know you're safe because somebody's watching over and so you know these these guys these guys and gals go out and they do this But what happens is, and that's a big crowd we want to get to to help. Because if they say, or they go to the chief, or they go to their EAP, or they go to seek out. Who is the EAP? So folks want to. Oh, Employment Assistant Programs. Most places have them. um, And it's kind of their stopgap. But, like, if an officer goes out and says, I need help, they're worried they're going to lose their gun. But even bigger than that, as first responders, we're all alphas. You can't go running into something everybody's running away from and not have that kind of alpha mentality. And so it's weakness. And so even for me, if I went back to the firehouse and and felt I showed weakness, the guys wouldn't respect me. Now, we know that's probably completely different, but that's the feeling that you have going into it. So we have a high majority that... um, it's not necessarily drugging. Um, it's a lot of alcohol. You see a lot of alcohol. Um, you see a lot of that being used to unwind. Um, 
drugs are prevalent, I won't lie, but um, I would say it's a very, very, very high number of our first responders that frequent drugs and alcohol. Um, so would I be right in thinking if I walked into one of the garages or buildings where they house their emergency vehicles and went to the refrigerator, we're oftentimes going to find something or in somebody's locker or somewhere? Well, they do real good to try to keep it out of the firehouses. Okay, okay. Um, back in the day, so alcohol has always been tied to firefighting. Um, early, early firefighting, they didn't wear SCBA, so the breathing apparatus. So they'd go into these fires, what well, they would get carbon monoxide poisoning. And so when they would, after a fire, we call that rehab. They would go back to the station and they'd have full stocked bars. And they would drink alcohol to get their blood thinned out so the carbon monoxide molecules could better pass. Now, I wonder how many folks that are listening have any idea that that was used, pardon me, uh, yeah. as a form of medical treatment, even if it wasn't the best choice. Yeah. Well, and there's still, so I was amazed, and, and this is still policy, Hamilton County Sheriff's Department. Their SOP states officers can have up to two drinks while on duty. Two alcoholic drinks while on duty. You have to put that in an SOP. Like most people would think, if I'm working, I can't drink or do this. Right. But, but they have had have to have a minimum standard. So this way they can set a policy on it. Um, so it's, it's these things that you get into in what? our... Our first responders, we see the prevalence in it. What's what's the answer for all of that? Uh, do we and and there are only so many hours on the clock. But do we need a deprogramming time? Do we need a program for deprogramming for dealing with the PTSD? Uh, yeah, what? Oh. Uh, it's, you know, it's multifaceted. And if you had the answer, you wouldn't be well, you'd be on a beach, right? Well, it's, here's the thing about first responders. There are two things that, that happen to them. Number one, they hate where they're at and they hate change. So they're all going to complain about what's going on right now. But if you try to implement change, they're going to hate that even more. <laughs> so it's tough to, like I said, get into a group of alphas where it's always been the tradition. Um, it's always been, it's, it's, it's where it's at. And um, that's what's scary. But what we have to do is, in my 24 years, we have what's known as critical incident stress debriefings. This is where you have a team of professionals come in after crisis, after you've been into a major incident, and then they help work through it so this way you don't go home to drink or you don't go home to drug or you don't go and take negative energy to cope with what just happened let's sit down and talk about it let's see what we need to do is that an immediate response by them or how long after the fact and a I'm lot sure for, for me i'm gonna say if i could have got caught immediately let's immediately digest what happened because with every run that a first responder goes on, we're all critical of ourselves. Sure. What did I do? Did I do this right? How can I do it better? 
Um, so you're critical in that, that it's best if you can talk to somebody. Now, when we'd go back to station, what it would be is you okay. You good. You good. Everybody good. And then that's it. And then we'd all separate. Well, instead we need to bring it back to where maybe after that run as a crew, we need to sit down and if we have to hold hands and cry as men, we have to do that, but that's what it is to get over it. So it starts with just the basic kitchen table values. Let's start talking about these things. We all came back and experienced it. And we're only as strong as our weakest link. And if our weakest link is emotionally, spiritually, and physically drained from what just happened, that's not good. So you got to lift them up. So it starts there. Then it starts with our our administrations, the, the fire department administrations being more supportive, which I think they are. Um, as we, we transition, but it's still always a battle because it's about, we need staff on this. If guys aren't here, I can't staff an engine and we're already running at minimal numbers. So that's always going to be an issue at the top, but we need to have more support in it to say, um, we can work with you. EAPs are not the answer. So the employment assistance programs that if you do go to your front office and say, Hey, I need help. They're going to push you there. Well, an EAP is great to, like I said, be a stopgap. But they're only going to give you so many sessions for free. Yes. You can't dive into what's going on into a 20-year veteran first responder and those those some, three weeks or whatever. Yeah, yeah right? whatever it is. Um, so that's not the answer. So we need to bring in more professional help. Um you know, for, for me, I've always said the best thing is I want to get an emotional support dog and just do a tour circuit of all the firehouses, go there at lunch and dinner and just sit and eat with the guys, have the dog there and just talk. Hey, what kind of runs you been on this last week? But have that emotional support person that that's all their job is, whether it's a chaplain or not, but they just go and tour every house every day, lunch and dinner, breakfast, lunch, whatever it is. But let the guys know that they, they've got the support there. But you've got to talk. At the end of the day, if we're not talking about what we're seeing and doing, we're going to either go take it out on our wives or our spouses. We're going to take it out somewhere or we're going to get involved in the drugs and alcohol. And then once that gets on board and we're already aggressive, how much more aggressive are we going to get? Exactly. Um, exactly. You know, I, I tell a story of when I was a young kid, I worked at a local fire department. And there was a guy that worked there, and we all saw it. We saw it in him that he was suffering. He was in crisis every day. But we kind of made fun of him. And that's, oh, that's, you know, so-and-so. That's just who he is. He's had a lot of kid runs, and he's just burnt. It's just what it is. But we all identified it. But nobody said anything to him. Nobody approached him and said, hey, buddy, what can we do? Let's talk. And it was several years later after I left that department, he ended up in prison because one night he got drunk, he got aggressive, and he took one of those old rotary dial telephones yep. and hit his wife in the head with it. And because we didn't intervene earlier and help him, now his wife got injured. Their child suffered because of the divorce and the dad went to prison. I mean, it's just one step after another. So I always look back on that and say, we can see when, when somebody's in crisis as a profession, but we don't protect each other. So, I mean, it even just comes down to that basic, simple thing. We've, 
that's part of life for any of us. Now, I know it's much more prevalent in that culture, right. in that rescue culture, because of all that you deal with on a constant basis. But in our own family, our own circle of friends, we see somebody that's hurting well, somebody else will talk to them, or they'll find another way. Instead of stepping up to the plate, I'd much rather ask the question sincerely, how are you? Right. And you can tell by the response many times, you know it's a lie when they answer. Oh, yeah. And, and you, you see it in the stare. You see it in yeah. the eyes. So um, you just jump on board with, Wow. That's that's pretty comprehensive there. Thank you. Yes. Let's move ahead. You gave us some of those steps. You've taken the organization you were in with Skip, some of the other steps, but now you're into recovery with Turning Point Madison County. Yes. Tell us about Turning Point Madison County. Well, Turning Point Madison. Your involvement. Well, Turning Point Madison County, number one, is a crisis resource hub, and we assist folks who are in crisis dealing with uh, substance abuse disorder, uh, mental health crisis. And then with that, what we've realized is um, those that are suffering from mental health or substance abuse also are suffering or nine times out of ten impoverished, especially through our community. So if, if you're truly going to lift somebody up and get them help, you got to help in all aspects. So through Turning Point, what we do is we assist individuals in getting into the treatment modalities they need to lift their lives up and live a healthy and balanced lifestyle. Um, so we're kind of a concierge service when it comes to getting you to um, the services that you may need. And being there to hold your hand through it to help you overcome these, these you know, barriers and obstacles. Um, what we have found, and this was the, the, the major purpose in the founding of Turning Point, was say you or I right now need a therapist. Say we're in crisis and we reach out to the resources we have available. It could be three months before we can get an appointment. Yes. Um, say I am suffering from addiction. And I may want to go get treatment. I may not want to, but I need somebody to help me, talk me into it, and then get me set up on that pathway. Three months can be deadly. Absolutely. Three so, days can be deadly. So here at Turning Point, if somebody comes in and they're ready, I can have you in treatment in under an hour. Say that again, please. If somebody is ready to find recovery, I can have you in treatment in under an hour. Okay. Go ahead. Yes. And it's all covered by insurance. So everything we do is free. And then we deal in probably a high majority of our clientele is a Medicaid base. And so we work with those facilities. So it's even it's it's a free cost to every client that comes in. So if you're ready, I can get you where you need to be for free. And so, if you don't have insurance, guess what? We're going to help get you set up on it. So give me the steps. Let's just say I'm new here in town. I'm having substance use disorder issues personally. I hear of turning point. What's step one, step two, and so on? Help me get to treatment. Step one is number one saying I need help. 
So and calling so, you, yes, saying, "Hey, can you help me?" It's reaching out. So it's either coming here to the Anderson office and walking in and seeing one of our peer recovery coaches. Where is that located? Six hundred one Meridian Street. We are attached with the Ilio Center, which is affiliated with the Christian Center, and we're right down from the Red Door. So a lot of people know the Red Door. Six hundred one Meridian, yes. Anderson, Indiana, just uh, yes. down from the Red Door. Or, yes, we also operate an office at fifteen hundred. South B Street in Elwood, Indiana. And then we have a crisis hotline that is manned 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and that is 765-227-2585. Do that again, please. 765-227-2585. Okay. So I, I make that call or I come in here, I tell you, man, I'm struggling. I need some help. What's what What's, are the questions going to look like? Am I going to feel questions like are you're gonna, nope. searching my life, digging, tearing me apart? What we pride ourselves in, especially myself, is if I have somebody in front of me, I don't care who you were yesterday. I don't care what you've done. I care who you are right now in front of me, and I care about the person you can become tomorrow. So. Our question shouldn't be evasive. We are all, as far as peer recovery coaches, have shared life experience. And that's what makes it so much easier to come in and talk to. My office manager, she'd been to prison, 10-time felon. All my staff have went through something. And so when you come in, your story is no different than anybody else's. And we don't care. What we care about is... How are we going to help you? So questions are going to be, number one, what can we do? What are you looking for? So we're going to ask you, what are the five things you want in your life? What do you need? Well, I need recovery. After recovery, what do you need? Well, I'm going to need housing. I'm going to need help getting a job. I'm going to need these things. Okay, well, let's start with number one. Let's get you into recovery. So what does that look like? Well, for everybody, it's different. But if we can get you into a 28-day treatment program and you are using, that's always the best start. So that's where within an hour, I'm going to be able to have you on the road going to, I call it the spa, because these facilities that you go to nowadays are like a vacation. For 28 days, you need to go there and do nothing but work on you and relax. They're going to feed you well. Most places have chefs. They have the most comfortable beds. So you're going to eat good and you're going to sleep. And those are the two most important things to start recovery because you got to rest your mind. And so with that, we're going to get you there. Through there, we are also going to help you afterwards. So say after doing 28 days, now maybe you need a sober living environment. Say you need kind of that communal living with other people in recovery to help get you going. What jobs are you going to need? Say you have felonies. We work with people that even if you have a felony, a criminal history, I can get you a job and get you working today. So it's all about getting you in recovery and then getting your life better. So you've got all the pieces here except the individual who Absolutely. has to put the puzzle together with your guidance. That's just that it. That you can walk them through that puzzle piece by piece. We Here's have a master first. guide to putting the puzzles together. So we can show you how to put the pieces together. You have to connect them. That's what it always comes down to. We can give you the golden ticket. We can show you 
but there's work involved. You can't do the work for someone, can no. you? Not effectively. No, and this isn't something where I have high blood pressure, high cholesterol, I can give you a pill and it's all going to be better. Don't we wish? Absolutely. You have to put the work in because when we use substances, it changes our chemical balance in our brain. And we have to learn to get that back, kind of like me having to learn emotions all over again. It's the same concept. Our brain has to learn this because it all comes down to our, our dopamine, our serotonin, and all those receptors that are there and what the drug, depending drug or the chemical, let's say chemical because alcohol can be in there, how it can change that. So it's you got to put the work in and you got to put it into you. And that's it's all, all it takes. right here in one spot. You just got to want it. Give them that address and the phone number one more time. It is please. 601 Meridian Street here in Anderson, Indiana. And the phone number is 765 227 2585. So, what kind of an outreach do you have as far as uh, distance? Is this primarily for Madison County? What if I'm a Delaware County individual or even Jay County? Well, what we have done is tried to look at Turning Point has been successful through collaboration. And it's been that collaboration that, for me, we can't get anything done unless we're all working together towards a common goal. And so say you're in Delaware County, say you're in Jay County. Well, I know resources in Delaware County that I can direct you to. Okay, you will resource us to someone yes, else who will we, get us there. Yes, awesome. we will not. If you call us, we will not turn you away. We can find the resources. So right now, Turning Point Madison County is located in Madison County. I am making a push out into Henry County because what I realize is Henry County very much mirrors Madison County, and they have even less resources. So we want to really get to the communities that, that need the help and the sure, support. Sure. Okay. Let's start to wrap this up, Jason. As okay. you know, the the name of our podcast is Faith in Your Recovery. Yes. What do those four words mean to you personally? Well, it goes back to wanting to be ready. Like we talked about, we can help somebody, but if they're not ready to do it and you got to have faith in that, that's the first thing for me when I, um, went through my, my struggles and what I see with a lot of my staff, when we talk is you got to give it away and you got to have faith that there's a higher power that's going to be there for you and is going to get you to the opposite side of where you are. So faith in your recovery really resonates because that's what it's all about is stop trying to be in control of something you have no control in and just let it go and be hopeful and have faith. That's that maybe some of the best advice you've given us and I've appreciated <laughs> it all, but uh, you got to let go. Yes. Nothing starts anew if your hands are full of the old. Well, and, and the problem is we've, <laughs> I hate to say it this way, but you failed. So failure brings success. 
give up your failures and let's be successful. Have faith that you can turn it around, but you can't bring yesterday's issues into today and you can't bring yesterday's patterns and routines into today and have the have Expect recovery. A different result. Absolutely. Yeah. So you got to look at it and say, okay, I didn't do good. Let's do something different. I often think of Dr. Phil's statement. How's that working for you? Yes. If your past hasn't worked, it's time to change it if you want it to work. I, I, I probably ask that several times a day to people. How's it working out for you? Yeah. How's being out here on the streets hustling working out for you? When are you going to be ready to turn your life around? And we're given that opportunity today here on Faith in Your Recovery with the options that you've you've shared with us. You've given us uh, names, numbers, locations. Folks, if you're in the struggle with substance use disorder slash addiction, you don't have to be. If you've got a loved one who's there, share with them what you've heard today here on Faith in Your Recovery, along with Jason Howard from Turning Point in Madison County. We thank you for tuning in, and we believe in faith that your answer may be in the next episode or around the next corner. Hang in there. Stay in the battle. God bless. Amen.